Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. Steve Jobs, the genius behind Apple, once said, a good artist copies, a great artist steals. It's a strange concept, especially as we celebrate the greats as true originals. But what Jobs meant was that most artists simply copy what they see or hear. That most art is derivative, but the truly inspired artists learn from past masters. And because they understand what's happening on a deeper level than the rest of us, they have the ability to create something new and fundamentally original. Instead of a clone, it's a descendant of the work that inspired it. In music, there's a long tradition of building on the shoulders of giants. But where's that line between common imitation and inspired creativity? In this episode, we'll find it. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. This show is sort of like car talk meets behind the music. Ooh, Clint, I like that. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint. What's today's question? Today's question is, was it inspiration or theft? That's the age-old question. This is a crazy subject. I Doing some of this research, yeah. it was like reading, I, like you had to be a lawyer to understand. Like I got deep into the actual law of copyright copyright infringement yeah and it's it's no fun being a entertainment lawyer working a copyright case is very tedious i would imagine i'm really fascinated to hear what your picks are because there's so many examples of songs that you hear and you think this is basically just a rewrite of this other song yep but then there's also songs that are like the same but Totally original. As a songwriter, you're constantly listening to music. You're constantly absorbing things from all the way back in your childhood. Yes. And so that's in you. 
Right. And so when you're writing a melody, you're obviously going to stumble on something that's been done before. And we've all done it a million times. You're writing a song and like, oh God, that's this song. But that's, but that's the question this week. Was it inspiration? Right. It's guiding you or was it theft? Right. There are some examples of starting with a song, like a reference track. Yeah. Like I'm going to make a song just like this. Right. In our episode about the Beatles, we talked about how there's literally a word in the dictionary, Beatlesque. Right. And so when you go from that major to the minor, that, yeah, that's Beatlesque. Is right. that imitation or is that inspiration? Right. I think it's the latter. Yeah. Because you can't copyright a move like that. No. And so where do you draw the line of lawsuits? Because some of these lawsuits are massive amounts of money. Right. And it comes down to these super sticky points of this syllable was on the end of beat three, just like it was, you know, oh my right. Lord. Well, start us off with one. Okay. I'm going to start with, I want a new drug and Ghostbusters. So, I want a new drug. It's by Huey Lewis in the News from their third album, Sports. And we've talked about this song and this album. We're both big fans. Big fans. Oh, man. One of my favorites of all time. Jeff Simons. (laughs) The single reached number six on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and actually topped the dance club play chart. I don't even know what that is, but... Got number one. So yeah, they topped something. it. According to Huey, he wrote the tune in just a matter of minutes. He's driving to his lawyer's house. He has this inspiration. You know, drug is love is basically what he says. So he's like, pulls over. When he, as soon as he gets to the guy's house, he's like, I need a pen and paper. Get writes it in like ten minutes. Song's done. I want a new drug. That was in 1984 it came out. Ghostbusters came out in 1984. The director of Ghostbusters is Ivan Reitman. He was a huge Huey Lewis and the News fan. And so for the montage scene in the middle of the movie, he puts in I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis as the, the, the cut music, right? So it's, it's temp music. It goes in so that they can edit to something. But unfortunately, they couldn't get that song. Because Huey was contracted with Back to the Future. So he wasn't allowed to give them a song. Apparently they had multiple options. Like a lot of, I think 50 different songs to try to fit into that spot. None of them worked. So he calls Ray Parker Jr. And says, can you write this song? And Ray Parker's like, yeah, I can write that song. But he didn't want to use the word Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman's like, that's the thing. You got to say Ghostbusters. And Ray Parker Jr.'s like, I don't want to write a song that says Ghostbusters. But they gave him, I think, two days. So it was like down to the wire. And they gave him the reference. Gave him the reference track. It had to be an up-tempo at this BPM because they'd already cut it. They, you know, they've, they've done the edits based on this click track. Yeah. So had to write it at that tempo. So Ray Parker Jr. writes it writes a song called Ghostbusters that basically has the same riff. So check this out. Here is I Want a New Drug. And here is the riff for Ghostbusters. Now that's very much the same, but they go two different places. So it's just that one section. 
Right. So that's the other thing in this whole conversation. It's like how much of the song is an infringement? Right. If it's only the verse or only the chorus or only the pre-chorus even, how much is it infringing? And how much of this case would have been cut and dry if Ivan Reitman hadn't gone to Huey Lewis first? Right. <laughs> well, it's pretty much the same. This is <laughs> this is one of those cases where you're like, yeah, it's, it's cut and dry. Yeah, it's kind of it's pretty much the same. However, I would say that Ray Parker Jr. made it in a completely original song. It was nominated for the Oscar in 1985 for Best Music and Original Song, and it was nominated for the Golden Globe of that year for Best Original Song. So clearly it struck a chord with people. It's also one of those songs that every Halloween gets played by every band, every bar band in the world plays this song. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? And that was that was his thing. He never says Ghostbusters in the whole song. He gets other people. He gets the crowd and sing it. So it's like in the thing, it's a group of people. So he's like, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! But he never says it. So that was like his like... Compromise. Yeah, it's just like, I'm not going to say that. It comes out. It's a massive hit. But Huey Lewis is like, wait a minute. Sue's Ray Parker Jr. They ended up settling out of court undisclosed amount and there was a confidentiality agreement so that no one could speak of this again but Huey Lewis got interviewed he's on behind the music in 2001 here's a quote from Huey Lewis the offensive part was not so much that Ray Parker Jr. had ripped the song off it was kind of symbolic of an industry that wants something they wanted our wave they wanted to buy it it's not for sale in the end I suppose they were right I suppose it was for sale because basically they bought it. And that's what he said on the Behind the Music that then Ray Parker Jr. sued Huey Lewis for confidentiality breach. breach. I would say it's inspiration. The meat and potatoes of the song is not based on the actual riff. Like what you remember from Ghostbusters isn't what I want to do drug is, right? What you remember is, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Right? It's that lick. And that's not in the Huey Lewis song. I think he came up with something unique. I'm going to call it theft. You are? Yeah. All right. Okay. In January 1958, Chuck Berry, who's been called the father of rock and roll, released a single called Sweet Little Sixteen. It reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA, deep in the heart of Texas and around the Frisco Bay, all over St. Louis and down in New Orleans, all the cats gonna dance with Five years later, a young songwriter named Brian Wilson wrote a track for his band, The Beach Boys, called Surfin' USA. And it became emblematic of the new subgenre of rock, the California sound, or surf rock. It was an almost note-for-note ripoff, but with new lyrics. It's 
almost a Weird Al version. It's almost a Weird Al Yankovic yeah. version right. of the song. Yeah. I, that's a perfect way to say it. When Surfing USA was released, Murray Wilson, Brian, Dennis, and Carl's dad and the band's manager agreed to give Arc Music, Chuck Berry's music publisher, the publishing for the song. In fact, ultimately listed Chuck Berry as the songwriter. Ha! Inspiration or theft? Theft. Theft. In this scenario, cut and dry. But five years after Surfing USA was released, the Beatles released a song on the White Album. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney was able to bob and weave along the line between imitation and inspiration to take elements of both Chuck Berry and the Beach Boys to create something that stands on its own. The song, of course, is Back in the USSR. It's like a stew with ingredients from back in the USA from 1959 by Chuck Berry. Playful nod to the notion of California girls. Yeah. And of course, the listing of locations like we heard in Surfing USA. A couple of quick notes on back in the USSR. Ringo had temporarily quit the band, frustrated with the acrimony in the studio and Paul's criticism of his playing on this particular tune. Ringo would, of course, rejoin the band, but to finish this song, Paul played the drums while George played electric and John played bass. Paul added piano as an overdub, and then he replaced John's bass part. And George and John both added some additional drum overdubs. Inspiration, not theft. Agreed. Okay, so my next one, probably the biggest in terms of the gravitas that this has for the music industry. So this is, of course, Blurred Lines versus Gotta Give It Up. Mm. So Blurred Lines was a song in 2013 by Robin Thicke. And Robin Thicke is the son of Alan Thicke from Growing Pains. It was written mostly by Pharrell Williams. And then there's a a rap by T.I. in the middle. Pharrell wrote the track. Now, it became one of the best-selling singles of all time, with sales of 14 million, oh my God. simultaneously breaking the record for the largest radio audience in history. The song went to number one in 2013, giving Pharrell his third number one and Thicke's first number one in the U.S. Wow. Massive, massive hit. Gotta Give It Up is by Marvin Gaye. 
and that came out in 1977. It was written by Marvin Gaye as a response to a request from Gaye's record label that he performed disco music. Now, let's just hear Gotta Give It Up. Pretty sweet. Yep. Now, let's hear Blurred Lines. Okay. There's definitely a similarity. But, there's two chords in Blurred Lines. There's eight chords in Marvin Gaye's song. But it's the groove. It's it's the groove. Now, here's the thing about the lawsuit. The lawsuit... The kids of Marvin Gaye, who own his estate, they don't own the master recordings of the songs. They own the lead sheet of the songs. Meaning, which, which don't have the groove. They don't own the actual recordings. So in the, in the court proceedings, they were never allowed to play Gotta Give It Up. So the jury never heard Gotta Give It Up. They never played it once. So they were only going off the lead sheet, which is the written notes. The production is not in that at all. And that's where the similarity is. I think that's where the similarity is. Wait, wait. What was the judgment? Robin Thicke and Pharrell had to pay $7.2 million to the estate of Marvin Gaye. It was like $14 million, $16 million, whatever it made. So they're doing fine. They're doing fine. But what, what I think is the precedent that this sets, right? It's, it's a scary precedent if you're going to... Take two songs that are, yeah, they're, they're pretty close. I, I get it. I disagree entirely with it, personally. If this is okay to sue somebody for this, then it just opens the door for a floodgate of suing. And so, so do a lot of people. So after the, the trial, Thick and Williams and T.I. appealed the judgment to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And after that, more than 200 musicians, including Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, John Oates of Hall & Oates, R. Kelly, Hans Zimmer, Jennifer Hudson, members of Train, Earth, Wind & Fire, the Black Crows, Fallout Boy, the Go-Go's, they all filed this brief that... This was setting a dangerous precedent. Stating that the verdict in this case threatens to punish songwriters for creating new music that is inspired by prior works. So it's a slippery slope. I think this is inspiration. Pharrell mentioned in an interview how he deconstructed Gotta Give It Up for Blurred Lines. Meaning, yeah, he was going for that. Obviously, he was going for that. He's a great producer. He can mimic whatever he wants. I don't, I don't think you can copyright a vibe. And it's different melodies. They're totally different. We're 22 episodes in. This is where we found our point of difference. <laughs> okay. For me, it's... As exactly the point you just made that Pharrell is such a good producer and he put that record on and was like, I want something that feels just like this. Yep. And that's what he did. He did. Okay. Okay. Inspiration for you, theft for me. Okay. You know the song, Clint, I Fought the Law? (laughs) It was made popular by the Bobby Fuller Four in 1966. A grape in the rocks and the hot sun. 
maybe the best and most famous version was by The Clash. And it was also a staple of the Grateful Dead set list. But in 1983, the great Indiana boy, John Cougar Mellencamp, released an album called Uh Uh-Huh. On that album was a song called The Authority Song. Instead of I fought the law and the law won, the Cougar says... I fought authority, and authority always won. (laughs) Is this plagiarism? Is this lazy songwriting? Or is it a nod? What do you think? I think it's inspiration. (laughs) I don't think that's theft at all. I mean, obviously, it's the same sentiment. Yes. But they're different songs. Totally different songs. By the way, let's talk about his name for a second. (laughs) Okay. It's the Coog. As I said, he's an Indiana boy. Everyone who listens to this show knows. Mm. Yep. That means something to you because you're an Indiana boy. When he was starting to make some noise as an artist, he was signed to a manager, a guy named Tony DeFreeze. DeFreeze thought Mellencamp was too German for a mainstream rock audience. So he gave him the stage name of John Cougar. (laughs) John Mellencamp hated it. And when he gained a little bit more clout, by 1983, he added Mellencamp back, but he kept the Cougar. So he was John Cougar Mellencamp. By 1991, his career had really taken off, and he dropped the cougar altogether, and he was back to his given name of John Mellencamp. But does anyone call him John Mellencamp? <laughs> you <laughs> f- one goat. <laughs> no, yeah, he's the coog. He's the coog. The coog, and he's a he's like this the Bruce Springsteen of Indiana. Yeah. In that case, you can't copyright a concept. The authority always wins, or I fought the law and the law won. That's uncopyrightable. So you and I could write a song. I fought the police, and the police were successful. (laughs) I don't think it has the ring, but yes. We're going to go inspiration on it. It's taking the exact same thing. This is such an interesting topic. So in my search for what distinguishes inspiration from plagiarism, I found this analogy from writer and musician Chris Fielden, who explains it this way. If you're searching for writing inspiration and you go and watch a Harry Potter movie and decide to write a story about a young wizard named Barry Cotter, who is attending a school of magic with his friends Don and Harmony, that's copying someone else's ideas. But if you watch the movie and think Robbie Coltrane's portrayal of Hagrid makes him look like a humongous badger, then you might start thinking about a planet called Spadge, where gargantuan badgers wage war against baboons. That's inspiration. Yes. (laughs) 
That's inspired. That's amazing. He goes on to say, I should point out that that inspiration does not always bring forth good ideas. Well, and what's interesting, this is also sort of genre specific, right? Like mm. there's some genres that have more constraints on where the artist can go. Like I'm thinking blues, for example. Before you accuse me, take a look at yourself. There's only so much you can do, and even early rock and roll. It's the same format. It's 12 bar. Rock and roll was basically blues with a new rhythm. Right. Or reggae is another genre. Totally. Which makes Bob Marley all the more incredible because his songs were so transcendent. What's amazing about reggae is that they would have these nights of reggae in Jamaica where they would just play two chords, A to G. Just over and over again. But then they would have different singers come up and sing over that progression, right? And it's not about the beat or the chord progression. It's about the lyrical content and the melody. They would have hours of this with totally different songs coming out of that similar chord progression. So that's genre specific. You're right. That is totally reggae thing. Yeah, bluegrass too. I mean, there's bluegrass songs are... And country. And country. Right. Because you're only talking about one, four, five, and six, really. Right. Maybe a two. Maybe a three. But like when you're talking straight up like country genre, country, old country, it's all one, four, one, five. Right. Six, four. They're all the same. And so it's more about the lyrical content, which you cannot copyright. And you can't copyright what it's about either. The concept is open. Anyone can write about being betrayed. Anyone can write about the authority screwing them. (laughs) It's just the way it is. Talking about Marvin Gaye, the song Let's Get It On. Yeah. Classic, classic song. One of the all-time greats. It is a one, minor three, four, five progression, right? Which every Van Morrison song is as well. And the thing about it is in Let's Get It On... The one and the three are on the downbeat. The two and the four are anticipated. Doom, 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 doom. Right. Right? That's the progression. So, not only is it a progression of chords, it's also a rhythmic where it lies in the beat. Right. So now let's let's have a quick listen to that. Let's get it on. Let's listen to Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. When your legs don't work like they used to before. And I can't sweep you off of your feet. Where was Marvin Gaye's estate for this one? So they came after him. He definitely got sued. They're just like they're just like don't mess with them don't mess they're don't listening mess they're listening they're to sharks. what you're putting out darling I will be loving you till we're 70 
Okay, yes, it's the same exact progression. Yeah. But it's almost just like the reggae thing for me in my head. Yeah, he's totally ripping off Let's Get It On. Everyone knows that. He knows it. I saw a version of him doing it where he plays his song, goes into Let's Get It On, goes back to his song. So it, but his song is a completely different song. Plus, it's got a B section that doesn't exist in the Let's Get It On. But the majority of the song is that riff. So is that inspiration or theft? It's a good question. It is. <laughs> That's why this is a great episode. Because it's, it's completely subjective to your understanding of songwriting, right? It's like, what is your most important part of the song? If your most important part of the song is the groove... Then it's theft. Then it's theft. But if your most important part is the hook... They're totally different hooks. There's not even a similarity melodically in any way. Right. So it's very subjective. Well, let's speak about an example. Okay. Another song we've discussed. In fact, last week we talked about this song. Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And it's one of those rare times when the bonus track on the Greatest Hits album becomes a celebrated hit in its own right. We love this song, right? Oh, yeah. Mary Jane's Last Dance was recorded in July 1993, produced by Rick Rubin. We'll come back to him in a second. Along with Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. A year earlier, the alt-country band The Jayhawks, a great band from Minnesota, were opening for Petty and the Heartbreakers. They had a song called Waiting for the Sun. Is that an A? No. It is an A. Is that an A? I can't yeah. see. So it is exactly. But it's different. Pretty darn similar. It's that ding. But again, a great artist takes something foundational and spins something new. And often better. And I think Mary Jane's Last Dance is better. Hmm. It's a better song. Mm-hmm. But the story doesn't end there. Okay. I mentioned Rick Rubin. He produced Mary Jane's Last Dance. 13 years after producing that song, Rick Rubin was in the studio again producing an album for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Their song, Danny California, sounds like this. minor versus d major that's exactly right so good ear asked if he planned to sue petty said i seriously doubt there was any negative intent there a lot of rock and roll songs sound alike but whereas petty because he's a great writer took an idea and made it better the chili peppers took an idea and made it worse (laughs) (laughs) but petty would be in the center of another debate around inspiration or theft this time in 2014 when the artist Sam Smith released his track, Stay With Me. Oh, yeah. This one. I actually really like this song. 
And it became a number one hit for him in the UK and number two in the US charts. And it won two Grammy Awards for Smith. Oh, won't you stay with me? Cause you're all I need. This ain't love, it's clear to see. But darling, stay with me. Maybe the reason I like it is it's pretty much exactly a rewrite of Tom Petty's song from 1989 in the form of I Won't Back Down. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I... That is very similar. Theft. Theft. It's theft. That's the melody that's It's the, the melody. And it's the hook. Yeah. It's the hook. Mm-hmm. It's the part you remember of the song. That's, it's, the, it's the part you that's sing. That's the hook. Yeah. Yeah. But I like both songs. Sure. And they're both... And they're different. ...original in their own way. Yes. Because they're different tempos. It's different uh, sonic arrangement, you know. All right. So next on my list is Some Nights by Fun and Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they just fall off. But I still wake up. I still see our ghosts. Oh Lord, I'm still not sure what I It was released in 2012. It went number one pretty much all over the world. Peaked at number three in the U.S. It's a great song. It's a great song. Stands by itself. Great vocals. I don't get Cecilia from that. Do you get no. Cecilia? I, no, I not ne- there. Yeah. Not there. No, no, no. It's its own song there. Yep. Let's keep going. Okay. What do I stand for? What do I stand for? Most nights I don't know anymore. Here's Cecilia. That's putting Cecilia into the song. The song's title refers to Saint Cecilia, patron saint of music in the Catholic tradition, which is interesting. I love this idea that the song is not about a woman, but it's about creative inspiration. The frustration of music as the fickle lover who causes both jubilation and heartbreak. He mentions St. Cecilia in another one of my favorite songs of his, The Coast, from 1990's Rhythm of the Saints album. It's one of my all-time favorite tracks. I love the percussiveness of the lyrics and the guitar line by his longtime guitarist, Vincent Nguini. He actually gave Nguini partial songwriting credit for this because of that guitar line and how foundational it was to the song. And when Nguini passed away a few years ago, it was so devastating to Paul Simon that he announced that he might be done touring. That's how important that musical collaboration had become for him. Wow. 
musicians took shelter for the night in the little harbor church of St. Cecilia. Two guitars, bata, bass, drum, tambourine, rows of Jericho, and bougainvillea. But is some nights inspiration or theft? It, to me, it's theft. To me, it's inspiration. <laughs> yes, finally! <laughs> I never even heard Cecilia in it until now, till today, actually. And I've heard of the song a hundred times. I agree that he created a song that stands, stands on, alone, stands on its yep. own merits. But that section is a blatant, blatant ripoff. Rip yes, Cecilia. How about one of the most iconic songs of all time? Here we go. Stairway to Heaven. Composed by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant for their fourth studio album, which came out in November 1971. It's often regarded as the most popular rock song of all time. <laughs> Didn't it finish every single school dance? Yep, yep. Like every single school dance. Because it's long and you it's just a slow dance. Sway. But then what do you do when the when the beat drops? You get with your boys and you <laughs> headbang. <laughs> as iconic as it is, the first time they performed this song live in Belfast, Ireland, the crowd was not into it. As bass player John Paul Jones said, the audience was bored to tears. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine? That's amazing. This audience was like, yeah. no. No. Play it's the terrible. Next. Terrible. It's terrible. Meanwhile, they were they were listening <laughs> to for the, the first time song ever. to the greatest song ever. <laughs> so good. A few stats on the song. They never released it as a single, which forced music fans to buy the whole album. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most played songs on rock radio ever, of all time. And it's the biggest selling single piece of sheet music in rock history. Ha. Robert Plant was once driving through Oregon, channel surfing the radio, and he stumbled upon a listener-supported radio station, KBOO. And during the pledge drive, the DJ promised that if they reached their goal, the radio station would never play Stairway to Heaven again. Robert Plant called up the station and made a $10,000 donation. <laughs> ah, no, that's amazing. Asked why. He said it wasn't that he didn't like the song. It's just that he'd heard it a few times before on the radio. That's so amazing. Isn't that great? Wow. It makes me really like Robert <laughs> a Plant. A lot, yeah. But that's not the topic of today's conversation. We're talking about the opening arpeggio of the song and how it bears a very strong resemblance to a song from a couple years earlier by the LA-based rock band Spirit. The song was an instrumental track called Taurus. Led Zeppelin had opened for Spirit on their first U.S. tour. In 2014, the surviving members of Spirit sued Led Zeppelin for copyright infringement. Oh my God. The case went to the Ninth Circuit, where a judge ultimately ruled in favor of Page and Plant. Again, great artists steal and create something unique and different, and in this case, better. Much better. Let's listen. Sounds like this. It's quite similar. I'm going inspiration. Yeah, so am I. I'm going inspiration. Yeah, because that's where it starts. And 
the judge was obviously dead danced to Stairway to Heaven at some point in his life. He's not going against Stairway to Heaven. Plus the amount of monetary. Can you even fathom how much it would have been so complicated? So complicated. All right, I want to give you another one just while we're on the topic of Led Zeppelin. Babe, I'm going to leave you. The song came out in January 1969, recorded the previous October. So they recorded October 68. Okay. That's important. That's important. I'm coming back. Timing, okay. I'm coming back to why. A year later, the band Chicago came out with this song, 25 or 6 to 4. Huh. Let's listen. 25 or 6 to 4. Oh, but you can't deny those horns. Oh, you can't deny the horns. What's the more, most important part of that moment of the song? I don't think it's the da na 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 da na na. I think it's the horn arrangement. Same same chord progression. Exactly same, the same, same key. Same, same key, everything. Same approach. Yeah. Except for the horns. Yep. Okay. I think inspiration, but the Zeppelin track is better. Okay, but you don't think so? I mean, I think they're both awesome. Okay. I think they're both standard. But wait. The even more superior track is the Beatles song. <laughs> of course it is. While my guitar gently weeps. <laughs> the great George Harrison composition from the White Album. Now, I mentioned that they recorded Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You in October 68. The White Album came out in November of 68. But I have to believe that Led Zeppelin had heard While My Guitar Gently Weeps before November. Were they at... Eric Clapton played the lead lead guitar part. Oh, yeah. Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page were the two hottest guitarists in England. They'd both been in the Yardbirds. Or was there just something in the water in London in in the fall of 1968 that wanted to do A minor G to D over sharp? Quick fire round, Clint. Go. I'll play the song. You tell me inspiration or theft. Okay. Radiohead, Karma Police. From 1997. And here's the Beatles' Sexy Sadie from 1968. Sexy Sadie, what have you done? Definitely inspiration. Okay. (laughs) How about this? R.E.M.'s It's the End of the World as We Know It from 1987. 
or Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues from 1965. Direct inspiration. But just inspiration, I think. Two totally different songs. All right, here's a, here's a fun one. Okay. The Imperial March from Star Wars. How about Mary Poppins? Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The medicine go down. Medicine. That's amazing. Listen to it. Listen, Two very different again, concepts. Yeah. It's basically a spoonful of sugar in a minor chord. <laughs> it's a dark, like evil. A it's spoonful of sugar. Makes a... Take it, take it. <laughs> Go to sleep. All right, you'll enjoy this one. I'm a dead man so that's. Barton Hollow, The Civil Wars. Okay, so new-ish. By the way, was that theft or inspiration? That's definitely inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I want to introduce that okay. I think John Mayer may have ripped me off. Okay, I can't wait to hear this. He has a song from 2006. A great song. A song called Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. From Continuum. He wrote it with a boomerang. I the loop pedal? Yep. He wrote that with the loop pedal. Great song. Great song. Great album. Three years earlier... <laughs> I was on tour with my band, an incredible band of musicians, The Foundation, Rich Price and The Foundation, Joe DeVoe on keys, Jeff Simons on bass, our old buddy Jeff Simons, our Simon, old buddy, Andrew Doolittle on guitar, and Adam Weissman on drums. We wrote a song called All These Roads. Now, I'm sure John Mayer heard this song. I'm sure. You tell me if they're similar. That's exactly the same. So, so let's just listen to the John Mayer's again. The difference is guitar versus Rhodes. So John Mayer, if you're listening, I am a big fan of yours. Yeah. And, is, and Slow Dancing in a, in a Burning Room is a great song. Yes. I wrote it first. <laughs> All these roads lead back. I found another gem in my research, Clint. 
this a piece by the English guitarist and teacher Stuart Bond. He asks the question, are there any songs left to write? Hmm. And he goes about answering it mathematically. For example, if you write a melody for one bar of music in the key of C by playing eighth notes, using any combination of notes in the C major scale, you end up with almost 17 million possible variations of melody. In one measure. In one measure. And that's just C major. If you include the 12 notes, the seven notes plus the five half tones, you get over 800 million possible variations of melody in that one bar of music. But it gets even more. If you play the notes C and E over a C major chord, the overall effect is this. C and E over a C major chord. But if you play those same notes, C and E, over an A minor chord, the overall effect is this. Minor. The point is, as he writes in his conclusion, if you're a songwriter and you're wondering, are there any songs left to write? Relax. There are probably more songs waiting to be written than there are grains of sand on the planet. More songs waiting to be written than there are grains of sand on the planet. I want to write a song. Right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's very inspiring. (laughs) Wow. Going back to Steve Jobs' quote that we started the the episode with, which, by the way, may have been stolen from Picasso or maybe even (laughs) T.S. Eliot, that good artists copy and great artists steal. Again, he's suggesting that an average artist simply imitates, but an inspired artist sees something at the microscopic level and rearranges those particles into something new and original. That's it. He's right. I don't see much theft in any of this. It was inspiration. Yes. In general, it was inspiration for all of these. We have a segment that we call Rich and Clint are Boneheads. Rich and Clint are it's because we realize that sometimes we get things wrong. Uh-oh, what'd we do? Do you remember 10 episodes ago? Well, no, I don't remember. <laughs> we did an episode with our friends at the podcast, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Okay. We did a, a synergy cross-pollination podcast. Yes. Called Who's Your Starting Five? Right. And Who's Your Starting Five if you could draft any musician? When Ben Barton chose Jimi Hendrix, we played Little Wing, one of the iconic Jimi Hendrix songs. Except the version we used was Stevie Ray's no, version. <laughs> That's amazing. Look, these, these episodes take hours and hours to research, record, produce, and we're generally doing our best. <laughs> but definitely let us know when we goof because A, it's always better that we know when we're boneheads. Right. Than to flitter around in blissful ignorance. <laughs> Agreed. And B, we enjoy... Being reminded that at the end of the day, we're just a couple of boneheads. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's a pretty sweet version, though, that Stevie Ray version. It's, it's so It's so oh good. My God. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> You're welcome for hearing it. Oh, man. All right, so for this episode, in general, I go with inspiration. You're a very forgiving i'm a forgiving plagiarizer (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I am. Because as long as it's it's taking it your own direction. Yeah. So did, did we do it? We did. Did we? I think we did. I think we, we did. did it. We, we did. We, we sort of did. We did something. We did. We did something. Yeah. We did something. Okay. Well, we hope you had as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum, restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.